Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host for today, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and look, we are still here in Castle Rock, Oregon. That is, we're going to be talking about Rob Reiner's Stand by Me, a film that we have dedicated a lot of time to. Uh, we talked about it in 2017. I interviewed. Jerry O'Connell and Will Wheaton in that month of uh, December of 2017, and we covered the book. We covered the movie then, and then this month, we had that three-and-a-half-hour dissection with Dan Mangan, uh, and that got a little emotional, I felt. Uh, probably one of my favorite episodes, which seems right, because honestly, this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's certainly my favorite Stephen King movie, and I think the Master of Horror would probably agree with that. Uh, but look, you know, the party keeps going. The 35th anniversary celebration is going to continue. And today we are talking to screenwriters Bruce A. Evans and Reynold Gideon, uh, the two writers and masterminds uh, behind this project. And I do mean masterminds because if it wasn't for them, I don't know if this movie would actually uh, have come to fruition. Um, as you'll hear in the interview ahead, they talk at great lengths about the, the, the hurdles that they had to go through uh, and to, to get this from page to screen. And it's a, it's a hell of a story. Uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a hell of a story. And one that we didn't really actually talk about um, on the, the Long Watch episode because I wanted to save it for this. So uh, I won't talk your head off too much. I'm just going to sit back, relax, maybe have some blueberry pie and uh, let you get on uh, with this interview. So uh, enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Here we are. I'm Raymond and uh, hi, this is Bruce. Bruce. And you are Michael. Yes. 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 This is uh, this is the Losers Club. We're a Stephen King podcast uh, celebrating five years come January. Uh, and it's, it's just really exciting that we're you know, able to talk to you, too, because, um, you know, for us, you know, Stand By Me has just been it's just really meant a lot to us. We you know, we did a ranking a few years ago where you know went through every Stephen King adaptation. I'm talking the director video stuff, the TV, all the major theatrical releases and we put Stand by Me as number 1. We think it's the best oh, Stephen God. King oh, movie out there. Yeah. Just dead on. But, you know, 35 years and I thought we'd start at the beginning because, <laughs> you know, every story starts at some beginning and uh it's an interesting origin for this cuz, you know, I I read Bruce that you were the first to come upon the body. Had you been a fan of Stephen King? You know, what about the novel spoke to you? Uh, I had given uh, different seasons to Ray's wife, and as a birthday gift, because she reads, she's an omnivorous reader, mm -hmm. and I had given it to her, and she was reading something else. So I asked if I could uh read it first and i promised her i would keep my hands clean as i turned the pages <laughs> and i was an art auctioneer at the time as you know we were writing in the evening and i read uh the body and called ray i think it was from seattle where i was doing an auction and said this would make a great great movie and he read it and agreed. And then we started the process of trying to get the rights. Mm -hmm. As you know, Stephen at the time had had John Carpenter's Christine mm -hmm. and had dealt with Stan Kubrick on- He wasn't in love with Hollywood, let's put it that yes. way. I didn't think so. <laughs> and he yeah. was not interested essentially in options we, well, or anything. We, we, we called Kirby McCauley, 
who was uh, his agent, Stephen's mm -hmm. agent at the time. His book agent. Yeah. And, you know, got a hold of him. And, he, you know, he told us that Stephen was not interested in Hollywood. He was, you know, done. So, but we kept after Kirby. And I, one time I had a place in New York and I went back and I'd set up a meeting with Kirby and his sister and went in and talked to them and had a lovely meeting. And finally, after months, he said, look, I, I can't give you the option, but what I can do is just tell you that go with God. If you get something, come back to us. Yeah. And that's And that's basically... What we did, we went around town with the uh, with the body, with me directing, and no one was interested. And we had written Starman, and Adrian Lyne was for him to direct it. Uh, and uh, we gave the body to Adrian, and he said, "Oh God, I love this. I I I'll do this. I'll make this my next movie." Yeah, we we went around with Adrian and no one. Everybody turned us down again. Everybody <laughs> turned us down again. And then Martin Schaefer, who we had had, we had done a script for, called and said, look, I'm I'm at an embassy. I'm going to be president here. Could you guys do you guys have anything? And he had wanted to do Starman. He and Andy Scheinman, who was Rob's producer, had wanted to do uh, Starman. Mm -hmm. So we had a very good relationship with them and we told Martin about the body and we went to the Palm and Martin prophetically said at this meeting, great from this meeting, great things will happen. Well, he wasn't and wrong. <laughs> he, he read the body and loved it and then gave it to the readers at embassy and the readers at embassy, the first one, <laughs> said, wow, who, who would be interested? Hated it. Hated, Hated it. it. Really? Interested in four boys on a railroad track trying to find a dead body. How Mormon, how awful. <laughs> and Martin called us, told us that. And he said, I'm tearing that up. I'm giving it to the next reader. That reader also did not like the body uh, at all. Hated it worse than the first guy. <laughs> yes. Unreal. Martin tore that one up. And he went to the third reader. The last reader they had at Embassy. At, at Embassy. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to, within a year, I'm going to be president of this company. And uh, uh, if you don't give this a good write-up, I'm going, you'll be the first one that I fire. So, so, the, so the guy being very smart called us. And said, what do you want me to say? And we dictated the coverage to him. And that's why we were able to get into embassy. Well, not, <laughs> not entirely because our coverage came out to be seven pages. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and the head of embassy at the time, a man by the name of Raphael Epkis, would only read coverage that was three pages long. Yep. So here's a guy making a couple of million a year, but coverage had to be three pages long. Well, so so we we cut the coverage down to three pages and we were into embassy and wrote the wrote the script. Adrian was off doing nine and a half weeks. We wrote the script, handed it in and the, the lady uh, Lindsay Duran was working at embassy at the time and she said, "Oh, let me read this." You know, it, it, people were talking about it. And she said, oh my God, this is great. This is a terrific script. Rob Reiner was finishing the sure thing at the mm -hmm. time. Both Ray and I knew him from different angles. Yeah. Ray, Ray, no, Rob. Had, Ray had been in an improv group that Rob had um, organized. Interesting. And uh, you tell the... Yeah, I, I, we were a group that Rob had put together and it was Art Matrano, uh, Albert Brooks, uh, Terry Garr, Richard Dreyfus. We were like 12 of us in there and we were all, we swore we would stick together for two years. And we were together for about a month and a half. And then Rob came one evening and said, um, look, I, did, I just want to say that 
I, I've been cast in this thing. It's called All in the Family, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, definitely but not. I, no. I, you know, so, but I just want to tell you that I'll be off for a couple of weeks. I'll be off for a couple of weeks, and I so I, I won't be. But I'll hand this over to my friend Phil Michigan, and and uh, so um, Richard Dreyfus said, "Well, Rob, since you made that confession." Richard stood up and said, well, I, I gotta say, um, I've just been cast in a movie called Duty Kravitz. I'm gonna be off my, to Montreal, but I'll come back in the group right away. And then Albert Brooks stood up and Albert said, well, I just got booked into the Sahara Hotel in, in Vegas. And of course the group kind of fell apart, but Rob and I stayed in touch and Rob's a great guy. He, oh, you know, yeah. We stayed together. Uh, we came back kind of a little bit after that, but the everybody was off doing something. So, and so anyway, we're walking the hall, and Rob goes, "Guy, what's this script that I've been hearing about? Can I read it?" "Sure, sure, absolutely." And so he read it, and he goes, "I love this. I'll make it my next movie." Now. We had Adrian that was going to make it his yeah. next movie, and but Adrian was deep, deep, deep into in the weeds of nine and a half weeks. He had started with a uh, a, a guy Yablons, Frank Yablons, Frank Yablons, who was all for the sex and kink, and now he was with um, Laddie, yeah, Laddie, uh, Alan Ladd Jr., who didn't have a kinky bone in his body. <laughs> so he was trying to please many, many masters. And he said, uh, after the, this has been so tough, uh, my wife, uh, Samantha, wants me to take a year off after this. And I'm thinking, and Ray said to him, Adrian, you know, if, if we can't wait a year. Yeah. Uh, if we wait a year, we might not even have a movie. We might not have a studio. Yeah. yeah. Studio will probably, you know, could be sold or some crazy yeah. thing. Yeah, you know? and so Andy Scheinman went with us to meet with uh, Adrian. We all talked to Adrian, said, look, you have Rob. He's a great director. I'll bow out and you go with Rob, go with God. Wow. And uh, so we went with, went with Rob, uh, did a rewrite for Rob. And then, uh, yeah, we went with Rob and it was one of the, the greatest shoot we've been on. I mean, you know, yeah. it was uh, pizza weekends and white water rafting. And Rob, oh Rob was like the godfather to everybody. <laughs> then we all go to a movie together and, you know, I forget there was a true old movie playing up there. And Well, there was a movie that River was in. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, but anyway, we got, it wasn't, it wasn't quite that that easy yeah no it doesn't sound like that we finished the script we did the rewrites for rob and uh norman uh, the powers that be raffi and norman and those guys said yes and so we started casting we started uh looking for locations we found brownsville in oregon which would be perfect and we we moved up there, you know, to do pre-production, and yeah. we were about three days in front of pre, away from production, when we got the call that Embassy had been sold and to Colombia. To Colombia. So at this point, you had to have been having like heart palpitations, just being yeah, like, yeah. "Oh my god!" Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were three days with cast, etc. Well, we, we were. This is the the heart palpitations came because on Starman. We were with Adrian, Michael Douglas, ourselves, and we thought Columbia. And we finished the rewrite for Adrian and Michael. Michael, who was a big producer at the time, you know, shook our hands, gave us a hug. You know, I'm gonna turn this in. We should get a green light next week. Let's, you know, Chapeau to you guys. You've done a great job. Adrian's raring to go. Uh, I went to New York. Wraith went someplace. And that was on a Thursday. And on a Saturday in New York, I got a call that we were being put into turnaround oh on God. Starbucks. Yes. So when, when we were three days away from 
you know, shooting and stand by me and we get a call that Suri has been sold. What's going to happen? And then the head of Columbia at the time, Guy McElwain, Guy McElwain said, uh, shut him down. I don't like, I hate this. Four guys on a railroad track, the same thing. Who the hell is going to see that? And he said, if I, we shut it down now, I lose a million dollars. But if we make the movie, I'm going to lose eight, seven. seven plus, you know, releasing the, the date. The cost of release. Oh, my gosh. So, Even with so all the ducks in the road. Uh. So we all got on the phone to our agents, et cetera. And, and then and Rob, Rob was on the phone with um, Norman and Norman Lear yeah. and uh, Mike Ovitz and uh, Norman uh, with Alan Horn in his ear saying, Norman, you're totally exposed here. You don't have a, a, a video release. You don't have any, you don't have a studio. You don't have anything. And Norman's answer was, you know, I like the guys. I like the cast. Uh, let's go. Yeah. And so he, he saved the day. Oh, God. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He took he took seven and a half million dollars out of his hip pocket and gave us the money. We didn't have to show dailies to anybody. We didn't. Any, Norman was off on a safari in Africa for the summer, I think it was. <laughs> And we came back and um, finished the movie and, you know. Well, Rob was, it was called The Body and never, Rob never liked The Body. As the title. As the title. And during the, the post started playing the song, you know, Stand By Me. And it fit the movie so well. So uh, he said, well, Let's use the song and call the movie "Stand By Me." Yeah, we were yeah. we were in in some oh, Charleston shooting "Made in Heaven." I think we got a call from Rob. What do you think? We said, "Great, great idea, excellent." You know, and, and was, uh, so now we had a movie and showed it to Norman Lear, and Norman Lear's reaction was, "I don't care if I make a dime or I lose everything on this movie. I love the movie." So, okay, good luck. Let's get distribution. <laughs> Now comes Miller time. Everybody in town, but every studio turned us down. What you see now that's become a classic and you know, made over $100 million worldwide um, was turned down. Uh, Frank Price at Universal walked out uh, halfway through. Sean Daniels was desperate, just trying to get them to see. He loved it. Wanted them to distribute it. Anyhow. Anyway, the, 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 everybody turned it down and then we were back. The only people who hadn't turned it down were the original people who had put us in turnaround uh, <laughs> at Columbia. At Columbia, and um, the, the, the guy McElwain said, "Why should I see it? I put it in turnaround. I'm not interested." And Ovid said, "You know, I got you your job." Very, gen very gently. <laughs> I, I got you your job. One day you'll be on the street and ask me for help. Uh, see the see the movie, and so he he was ill at the time. As Ray is fond of saying, you have to have, be lucky, and yeah. we were lucky. Then we got lucky at, at that time. What happened is that the morning that Guy McElwain was supposed to see the movie, he was a little under the weather, and he got all his marketing people and everybody from Columbia to come to his house and watch the movie. And that's where we got lucky, very lucky. Yeah. Halfway through the movie, sitting on either side of him were his two daughters, Guy McElwain's daughters, and they were in love with River Phoenix. And he looked at them and, oh, okay, maybe there's something oh, they here. Were crying and... They were crying. They were crying, loved uh, River and everybody. And Guy picked up the phone and called Norman and he said, you got distribution. The power of the youth's opinion. Uh, otherwise, we would have ended up maybe at the Vista for a week. And now, you know. and now in between, Rob goes off to do Princess Bride, mm -hmm. and we're we're here, and we're meeting with Columbia, who wants to get rid of the fucks. And yeah. thank goodness, Norman said, if I stand for anything, it's, you know, free speech and free all speech. That. And I support uh, the and, artists and I support what a cool the guy. And so, uh, we, we would meet, we had to meet with them three or four times. Well, if you just took out one, I mean, we might get another one. We take it. 
No, no, no. It, it has to go as as it is. It has to go. But then you're gonna we're gonna get an R, and what kid will go see an R? And we said <laughs> an R only makes it more attractive for kids. We were in Atlanta shooting something, and and there was something that opened, and all these kids were in there, and it was an R movie, and they were dying to get in to see R movies. Yeah. You know. So so. Um, we said, and then Guy McElwain was fired, and oh my gosh, and then and um, the Englishman uh, David Putnam, David Putnam came in, and David Putnam had something else that he really wanted, and now is the mission or chariots of fire? Yeah, he'd already done the chariots. We can't, I can't remember, and now. Um, Stand by Me becomes the stepchild, and there is very little money to advertise. And we were sitting writing something, and we went, They're not even going to have a screening for critics, they're not even going to have a screening yeah. for critics. Yeah, Putnam had his own movie and was not interested in any kind of this hours. is just ridiculous, and yeah. so. And so I called the LA Times and Sheila Benson was the reviewer at the time. The movie critic. The movie yeah. critic. And left a mess and invited her to the cast and crew screening that we had at the Academy. Yeah. She, she said, yeah, yeah, I'll come. Yeah. She, I said, please, you promise, because we don't have anyone now. You know, my parents were at the screening and Ray's relatives were at the screening and all, all the cast and crew and everything. But we don't really care about them because we know them. Uh -huh. We're outside waiting for Sheila Benson to come out. What did you think? What did you think? What did you think? What did you think? Well, I can't say, I really can't say, you know, because, you know, it, it's... You, won't be, to, you may you, you, you probably may not, won't be disappointed. You may not be disappointed. And that was that was all she would tell us. And of course, <laughs> you may not be disappointed is not is not you won't be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but uh, subsequently we got to know Sheila and she said she went back and wrote us a movie. and something we didn't know, the headline in at a critics movie thing, you know. They don't write the headlines. They have uh, headline a, writers. I had headline writers. Yeah. In other words, they'll read the review and pick something out. And she waited, waited till they decided what they would do. And they said, an instant classic. She said, thank you. She said, I was able to go home and have a good night's sleep. And now <laughs> we had we had gone through the opening of Starman, uh, where we were incredibly disappointed. We went to a theater and there was no one in it during the day. And we show up to see Stand By Me and there's no one, oh, the no. line, there's no line. No, no line outside the theater, nothing. And, but in the trash cans around, there's Sheila's, yeah. Sheila's article, she, Sheila's, Sheila's review. And so we went to the box, the, office. The box office, you know, we wrote, we produced, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, did anybody show up? <laughs> Guy goes, oh, the theater's full. We let them in. <laughs> the theater's full, and we're already sold out for the three o'clock. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So then we said, ah. Uh, and, that, and that was it. That was it. That was it. So yeah. <laughs> one night... While we had it, it was not, not the voice track and the picture track were separate. And, oh, right. and Stephen King, we get a call from Rand Halson. Oh, His, oh, wait, wait. Prior to that, uh, we had a guy before uh, Dreyfus. He was great as the, as the father and everything, but his voice didn't give any, he, he wasn't a good narrator. His narration. And was, so, um, uh, Michael McKean, Rob had Michael McKean try, Michael McKean try it. Spinal Tap, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Rob did it. Rob, Rob did a great did narration, but he, his voice was so recognizable. It's true, yeah. Someone else, and then he called Dreyfus. And Dreyfus said, I will do it, 
but you have to reshoot all of the stuff you know me in the car at the beginning and then mm -hmm. me in the room with the kids outside and uh so norman gave us i think two hundred fifty thousand or something to do that and we should we reshot all of that and put dreyfus's narration on it and it and it elevated it tremendously oh totally yeah i mean just jack yeah, richard richard was fabulous as far yeah, as narration the voiceover just just you just know. fabulous yeah and and then you know we went out we went out with that and then as ray's going to tell you we haven't we haven't shown the movie finished to anybody but um Us. columbia <laughs> and people <laughs> And uh, Rand Halston called and said, Stephen is in town and he would like to see it. Now, when we started, we called uh, Stephen and asked him, uh, is this a true story? Is this biographical? Is this, you know, all of this? And he was, you know, kind of grumpy about Hollywood. And the only thing he, he would say was, what isn't true should be true. That that. But so uh, well, go <laughs> go with God. Good luck. You know, yeah, good uh, luck. You know that's now that, that's that's what we are facing when Rand Halston calls and said Stephen would like to see it. Now he was staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and the Beverly Hills Hotel had a dual system, which was great because know, we hadn't married the sound to the um, to the picture. picture yet, and so we meet him and he wants to see it alone. He doesn't want us to see it. He doesn't want any of us in the room with him. Nobody, not his agent, anybody. He wants to sit in the room all alone and see it. And we figured, okay, now we know. And we're there with Rob and Andy and Bruce and myself and, 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 Rand, and Rand Halston and Rand Halston. Yeah. And we know exactly how long the movie runs and with credits and Rob doesn't drink at all. Yeah. And we're we're so nervous. We go down to the we go into the restaurant there at the Beverly Hills Hotel and Rob has a beer. Has a beer. <laughs> oh my God, Rob. Whoa, you're, you're going you're going crazy, Rob. And so we, you know, we hang out for the 89 minutes and then we know that. We show up just as we know it's going to end. We listen to the credits, you know, the Stand By Me song, on and on and on. And then it goes silent. And we wait. There is no Stephen King. <laughs> I mean, we, Did from, you think he left? We came back and we're standing outside. The theater. And we're standing yeah. outside. And, and we're, you know, it's over. <laughs> he, should, he should come out. <laughs> credits end. He doesn't come out. Doesn't come out. Doesn't come and out. And we're going, oh, fuck. He left in the middle. He didn't even <laughs> tell us. He hates it. Oh, fuck. What are we going to do now? So Rob we're, said, we're, well, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. Rob said, well, let's see. Let's he see. He reaches for the door. And as he does, it opens. And Stephen comes out. And tears are running down his face. And he goes, those were all my friends. Wait, and he was crying, really crying. He made hard. the master of horror cry, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. And then he says, "If you if you stay here a minute, I'll I'll come back down. Let me put let me go up to my room, compose myself, and we can you know I'll come back down and, and, and we'll talk. talk, and I'll tell you about it. And about fifteen minutes later, he came back down, and he had a garbage bag full of Miller Lite. <laughs> and, so, and now my girlfriend, Ray's wife, were at a restaurant that we were, uh, you know, going to meet them at. And they called and said, should we go to the restaurant? And we said, sure, we'll be there. We'll meet you there. You okay? Thinking, thinking. And I think it for, for, three hours or so yeah we sat there with Stephen and talked and talked and on, you know. talked and talked and talked and we as writers were fascinated oh, because sure. 
He's an amazing storyteller. He mm -hmm. talks exactly the way he writes. He leads you right up to the, you know, the edge. You want to know what's going to happen uh, in that story. And then he said, while that was going on, this over here was going on. Yep, he does so, that. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, come back to that. But then he leads you up to another cliff. And before he jumps off that one, he comes back to the to the other one. You know, and he told us like the, the real story of, uh, you know, the, the River, River, River Phoenix character that I think uh, uh, the um, Chris, he got him a job and he was driving uh, a, a, a truck with loads of TVs from either Bangor, Maine into Canada, uh, you know, and one day on, on the trip, the, the the truck was hijacked and the guys blew uh, River Phoenix's head off. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, that, that, character, that Chris, character, Chris, yeah. you know. Chris Chambers. Chris so Chambers. he was killed. Ace, he said, uh, you know, years the later. The Kiefer Sutherland part. Uh -huh. yeah, the Sutherland part. Stephen said, years later, I, you know, went, walked into a bar and there was Ace, you know, now he's 20 years old or something and he's, you know, that's his bar stool and and his overweight and yeah, and that's now his life. And you know, work, show up at the bar, drink until he goes home and goes to sleep. Wow. So that's so, that's Jesus. um that's the story of Stan Yeah, no, I mean it's a hell of a story. I mean, thank you. First off, thank you so much. I mean, I I did not expect uh, a, a long digression on that, and that was amazing. And I, because I, I didn't even know about the side stories involving the characters in the in, in his own story, um, because that's dead on with the actual novel, you know. And yeah, yeah. it's a uh, pretty wild. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. But, you know, you know, you went on such, such a long walk to get to this production. Ultimately, like, what really did speak to you about this story? Yeah, uh, every production is a long walk. It's true. Yeah, it's true. was a, a long walk. Shorter than... Others shorter than others, <coughs> longer than people think you write a script. Oh, then you go and shoot it and then you release the movie. You know, it's the old Roger Corman joke about it's like, okay, on Monday we'll write the script, we'll shoot it on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then we'll release it on Friday. Okay, all right, but you got a deal, you know. No fat, which is great. Um, but with, with but you held on and you kept going. And oh, there had God. like what what was it about this story though that like that you just you had that conviction to keep going and keep going? Well, once you decide on something, there's really nothing else to do. Yeah, but but keep going. No, we loved it. We loved the story. We thought it was a wonderful adventure. What we, what we what 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 got us the two of us it was coming of age without uh, rubbers and girls. Yeah, it was a coming of age that you'd never seen before. It was the first time in a young person's life where they faced mortality mm -hmm. and and it was a much more profound coming of age than buying a condom or kissing a girl or something like that that's that's what that's what i think king did so marvelously he captured he captured he captured the truth of of becoming an adult yeah which is why i think it's so timeless 
You know, I think that's why it just transcends any generation because it just, it really speaks to like the human condition, especially at that age. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, the, and the, on, the, on the shoot, the guys became very good friends. Yeah. And we were devastated uh, about River. It was um, so shocking to us because when we were up with him on the set, he wouldn't drink chlorinated water. Water had to be pure. He was so, you know, and then to have him get into drugs like that, it's... Uh, I think they, did they live in a teepee or something on the... Set? Yeah, the family were definitely hippie, yeah. hippie types. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With you had mentioned that, you know, when you initially wrote the script, I, I read somewhere it took like eight weeks to actually put the 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 first one, the first draft together. Do you recall yeah. those eight weeks? Like, you know, what were some of the hurdles in adapting the story? Because, you know, as you mentioned, there are stories within the story, you know, and there's a lot in there. And do you recall like some areas that you were like, oh, like wrestling with to cut and stuff to keep? Well, we wanted to use everything to tell the story well. And, and, you know, people like Robert McGee and Sid Fields and something like that, the guys who have never written a screenplay or had any produced, but teach people how to write. Um, uh, well, uh, they were apparently Robert McGee for one whole year taught, uh, and one part of his script was our script on Stand By Me. He couldn't understand. We had voiceover, we had flashback, we had fantasy sequence, we had flash forwards. <laughs> You know, but Billy Wilder said you use everything to tell the story. Yeah, you know? whatever is whatever you can use to tell the story in the most effective way, then use it. Yeah. Uh, there was no thought of this is is this good or is this bad. It just mm -hmm. told the story in the most effective way. Totally, totally. Do you think that you know, coming off of Starman, which you know, similarly has a lot of soul searching and, and themes of grief in it. Do you think, do you feel like that story might've informed this one at all? As, as not I, consciously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> no, they're both road pictures, if you wish. You yeah, know. that's true. Starman is from A to Z and so are the, you know, the bodies, the, the, the kids set up to, set up to become famous by discovering this body and then they decide, no, no, that's that wouldn't be right. Yeah, no, you know, you know. Yeah, the, the adventures on the way. But no, the Starman was an exploration of a, a woman's love for her dead husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also uh, most alien movies at that time visiting here were they were bad. Yeah, and we wanted true. to make it. He was here. He was, you know, collecting plants. He was, he was a good guy, and he wasn't yeah. here to hurt anybody, destroy anybody. That's true. And That's true. Here is any foreign substance comes into this country, the, the first reaction is to try to kill it. And, <laughs> and so, you know, at the end, we have a, had, had our run. Yeah. But you know, they're, they're both road pictures, but no, writing it, it didn't occur to us, honestly, at all. Just to, No, I just, I was just thinking about it because it's just the idea of reflection and, you know, the, the, the ideas of grief. It was just, I was just wondering if there was any parallels there, but um, I want to talk about Reiner for a second, just because, you know, he's always been, obviously he's carved a niche in the Stephen King universe for himself with Castle Rock Entertainment, and Misery after this. But, you know, at the time when he came on this project, was he as big of a super fan like Stephen King fan as he they, is now? Or? They didn't know, nobody, neither Andy Scheinman, his partner, or Martin Schaefer or Rob, they didn't know Stephen King. We introduced Stephen King to them. Interesting. And you know, and, they, and he got forming a company called Castle Rock. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty uh, wild. Uh, did you? So you had known Stephen King though, because I mean, I, you know, Bruce, if you found the novel, had you already been a, a constant reader of his work? Oh God, I I had read Stephen King from from Carrie all the way from up Carrie all the way up and how his the his Carrie was so different than the movie yeah we're trying to write a novel now and we've never written a novel before and to look at what he has done and the body of work it just awe-inspiring and when you read him he's talking to you mm -hmm. at least at least for me yo he, same, same. He, he's telling you a story we we think the stand is 
one of the greatest novels of, of all time to us. Oh, 100%. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Just, I it mean, has never, it has never, ever, ever, ever been captured on off, film. On film as it should be. It is just, it is, it is a staggering achievement. Yeah. I know, uh, it, I mean, when, you know, it was first, it was first out and um, it was, it was just, oh God, what an amazing novel. It's so and, early on, you know? Like... Yes, and then <laughs> all of those characters that he creates, I'm sure that if there's a worm that lives in his mind, there, the worm is very confused because there's so many people up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true, very true. Um, it, it's it's wild just how much he's able to knock out. I mean, even this year alone is two books. He just doesn't yeah. stop. He just yeah. really doesn't stop. Beyond, he he said he's he. We talked to him about writing screenplays, and he said, "Ah, I write epic poetry. What you guys are doing is like haiku." <laughs> uh, do you agree with that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And now trying to write a novel, he's absolutely right. Uh, is there any others? I mean, so at that point, you'd probably been looking for a King book to actually adapt, you know, at being no, fans or no, we were, it was just a total accident. Yeah. We, there was a, we weren't looking for, uh, we were, I don't know what we were working on at the time. I can't remember what we were working on at the time, but it was a total it was a total accident that we said, oh, this would be great. And then we thought that everything that he had written would be, you know, had been snapped up. Totally. And yeah. So we were very shocked that nothing in in different seasons had been sold. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It had been in the market. It had been out for about two years. Yeah. Uh, we liked Shawshank uh, Redemption. We thought that was great. Um, uh, there's one in there. The breathing method. It hasn't been done yet. Yes. Oh, the breathing yeah. method. Yes. That you got to do it. <laughs> done. You and know, it, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because when we spoke to Jerry O'Connell a couple of years ago, that was one of the ones he brought up too. You know, he's like, you know, different seasons. This is just one of his best books. And it's astounding that no one's adapted that one. You two should get, you know, if you three of them, you should get together and make it happen, make it a reality at this point. Well, um, we thought of it as a play. Yeah. Oh, that can work. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and the, uh, Rob, we worked on the script and Rob was, um, he, he didn't encourage, um, improvisation. Among the actors. Among the, the actors. And and so in the scene when there's they had they're throwing rocks at the can and then they're spitting water at the can, and and something and and Jerry goes, oh oh great, spit at the fat boy, <laughs> and and he goes, oh god, I'm sorry, Rob, I I, I didn't mean it, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> and Rob goes, no, it's great, leave it in. Yeah, that, oh, was, like, that was the only improvised line that ended up in the movie. That's wild because it does feel so natural. You know, it's 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 uh, it's emblematic of your work. I mean, really. You know, going back to the script though for a second. Um, you know, I, I know when Reiner came in, there was a there was some shifts, and you know, as you were mentioned, uh, oh, yeah, going yeah. back and redrafting some stuff. But uh, what was was there push pull at all in making Gordy a main character? You know, what was what were some of the were there any growing pains in, in adjusting and retailing the script? Gordy, was, Gordy was always the main character. The, the push-pull came in the idea of the problem with the father. Yeah. That, that was Rob, and, and, uh, and it worked wonderfully. Yeah, no. Well, I wanted to talk about a couple of like really integral changes, uh, just real quick, just because I think that they're so they really uh, embellish a lot of the, the 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 narrative, and I think they really speak to a different you know at a different volume than what the the, the novel does, and I and I King has certainly contended with that over the years too, and admitted as much. You know, for example, like you know who decided to have Gordy pick up the gun. You know, because that's that's a different shift from the book as well. The, uh, I don't know if that was in the first draft or, or Rob's draft. I don't I don't know. Because it's, it's it's you know you're going along and all of a sudden it's like, uh no, that character should. <laughs> yeah. 
pick up the gun or yeah, yeah. You know. yeah that that I don't I I can't answer on honestly I don't know if we did it or it was the result of of the Rob and the father thing or the subconscious again you know yeah yeah <laughs> I I have no idea yeah well and then you know what's also a very big drastic change is the fact that the original novel like ends even more tragically for the boys you know I I think that the fates of the the other three, you know, the other two actually. Um, oh, you know, yes. Teddy and Vern, especially. Yes. Was there a draft with their original fates or did you no. decide to kind of be like, all right, well, no. you know, yeah. No. Okay. It ended where it ended. Yeah. Okay. yeah that's no, that we, didn't, we didn't want that. Yeah. I, I just remember reading it finally because I, and I just being like, God, what a blow. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. really depressing. Um, we didn't have, we didn't have an end for Vern. You know, at the, at the end, when the narrator is saying, you know, the, you know, friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant and something. And there was there was no kiss to Vern. There was a, there was a kiss to pretty much everyone else. And and Ray came up with it. And it was the oh, a Rob, penny. I love yeah, that. Rob yeah. said, Rob said uh, we need something. What did he say? And I said, he's been looking for pennies. Like, Rob, maybe he goes. Oh, he finds a penny. Oh, a penny. <laughs> Such so a great callback. <laughs> basically, Vern would be looking for money all his life. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, oh, I love that. Yeah. And then, and then the thing that uh, Rob was very, very reluctant to shoot the vomit scene. And he wanted us to write things about cowboys coming into town. Anything but Meathead doing a vomit scene. Yeah. He said, I don't want to be that, that that was way more push pull than uh, anything else. And we were up on set. We built the we built the uh, stage for the vomit scene and all of that. And we were so worried that, you know, Rob would find a way to get rid of it that well, you know, we we worked with the guys with the projectile vomiting so that the machinery worked the first time when we showed Rob. And then Ray finally came up with something he said, he said to Rob, no pun intended, but it's, it's a splash of color. It, you have a tone poem with the boys and now this is a splash of color in in the line in the in the journey. Yeah, yeah. like a more like a, a tone poem, which was, you know, uh, created by the first one, was Liz, the you know, eighteenth century composer. Anyhow, and you see anything, whether it's uh, Gershwin doing an American in Paris, or you know, they come to a point where there is, you know a splash of color in the middle yeah. of it, whether it's Sibelius or Gershwin or whomever. Uh -huh. So that, that was, that and, then, was and Rob that said, was ah, tone poem. It's okay. Yeah. All right. Now that makes sense to me. And then he, then he shot the shit out of it. And it's one of the most iconic scenes. I mean, I, it's, we just watched it here in Chicago and the crowd just went nuts during it. It was a sold out uh, crowd in the back. Uh, we had it at a garden screening that we were hosting and everyone just loses their mind during that scene. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, oh, it's perfect. Great. It's perfect. I, this is a random question. I apologize. And if this is too out there, but what is your read on the significance of Gordy and the deer? The deer walks on the tracks. They stare at each other. The deer walks off. What, what do you make of that scene for yourself? Like, what, what do you feel is the spiritual and thematic significance of that? Because there's a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion online about what that means for the story, for Gordy's journey. And I just wanted to know what you thought yourselves about that scene. Well, it, it means that, that uh, Gordy likes venison. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are. The, the de debate has been no, solved. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, he, he's off by himself. And that it kind of, Gave, gave, it was Gordy's character. That's his soul. Mm. I mean, he's an innocent, beautiful person, um, you know, who loved Chris and wanted to help him. And he was there basically in how to illustrate, ah, you know, he didn't chase it off or, or try to kill it. Yeah. Uh, well, it was, it was, it was his inner self, yeah. basically. That, that's, that would be our, 
it was him meeting himself. Uh, and, you know, all, Chris is telling him, you know, you've got something special. And the, um, the deer was the, the specialness inside him. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, and then another significant, I think one of the, the big lines that everyone always tweets about today, even now, is uh, Jesus does anyone. Now, was this added in post-production? Uh, who came up with this final line? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it, I think it just was. Yeah. I, I think it was in the script. Yeah, does anybody have, you know, friends like they had when they were 12? Yeah. Does anyone? anyone? It's just such I, a great last. I, I, it, it, if it's not in the book, then it was in the script. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things that, the, the big takeaways that they, you know people always associate with this film is the fact that you know this is 1986 uh coming after a long you know line of Stephen King films and you know there's been a lot of talk about how they tried to couch his name during the promotion of this film and you know not to let this associated with like a Stephen King movie was that actually the case that happened at that time um at that time coca-cola owned Columbia um, and uh, as we said earlier, uh, I, we, our, our um, contribution was to keep the fucks in, and we met with them on the, on the advertising. As we're sitting here, we realized they didn't have a preview set up here for critics. Yeah. So the advertising was, uh, it, I don't know that it was, uh -huh. since I, we weren't in the room, you know, we saw what they were doing and we didn't object. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know that in the room they were trying to stay away from Stephen King. Uh, and once the name was changed, um you know to stand by me it it became yeah the, it, the, it, the macabre left the room the, the macabre yeah. left the room yeah makes sense they say we saw that we saw the trailers we saw the art and we, we thought that the advertising captured the the feeling of the movie oh it and absolutely does the 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 tones of the, the colors alone yeah I, I think are so synonymous with just everything all the feeling of the movie the the wash that Reiner gives that sort of um, like, even, I mean, I think it's just, it's such a formative movie anyway, but I think just seeing this as a young kid myself, I associate like any nostalgic feelings with that sort of that blue wash, you know, like whenever Gordy flashes ah. back or whenever they're walking yeah. around, there's that, yeah. that, there's that shine there, no pun intended, but um, I, yeah, it's just, it's something that's, I feel it's just dead on with the marketing, but um, I want to talk about the Oscars though, because this is nominated. Uh, you know, for an Oscar, the screenplay, and uh, what was the buzz like going into into the Oscars? <laughs> we we knew that we had lost. <laughs> well, so it, so it, we it, showed we showed up knowing that um, uh, it room, would go room, to a British film. Room Room with a View was going to win. Uh, Although at rehearsal, we had some a friend of ours who you know they were rehearsing, and she was one of the stand-ins for you know actresses, etc. And and the nominee is and the winner is and everybody would say stand by me stand by me but we knew at the time that you know a British film and of course well it was a Merchant Ivory British film that you know was from an important novel it, not the horror Meister Stephen King and all of that so you know they were and it was about real people. It was about adults. It wasn't about kids. So, you no, know, yeah, we were nominated. Rob should have been nominated. He yes, did a fabulous, fabulous job. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that was our, um, yeah, uh, that was our big beef at the time because he did an amazing job. Rob was uh, our generation's Billy Wilder. I yeah. Mean, that's a good comp. He could do Misery, he could do A Few Good Men, he could do Harry and Sally, he could do uh, Stand By Me. I mean, it's, it's, he's- And the, and the, he's, and the he's, rock movie, the- uh... You know, 
he's he I I don't think he gets his due as as how good he was. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. And and you know he's he's a he's a great person as well. Yeah. So. Well, do you oh, ever? Yeah. Is well, there ever what if in your head that of like you know because there were so many different roads this could have gone on? You yourself directing, Adrian Lynn directing. Do you ever wonder what the movie would look like in 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 any of those roads? Adrian would have done a hell of a job, but Adrian would have kept some of the the horror, the horror, you know, in in the in the novel. Yeah, you know, the brother speaking to him and all of that. I can see and that. Our what ifs is are not with uh, Stand by Me, but with Starman. That, yeah, that, that's our what if. Because if Adrian had done it, I, it would have been something incredibly special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he was. What, what, How he was going to shoot it and talk yeah. about it. His production designer was a top architect. You know, Adrian yeah. goes, does different kind of and, things. And the and the spaceship was a living being that that oh, was at the end. Oh, that's yeah. It was not. You know, he said, "I'm not going to out Spielberg, Spielberg." So let's make it different. Where basically the Starman kind of curls up, and and it is into this. It's a living body. Yeah, it's a living, it's a thing, living that has, thing that has traveled through the stars, and and the 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 um, star man is a child of the living being. You know? Yeah, so. I can see that. I can see that. Well, you know, I we we'd mentioned you know River before, and I, you know I'd be remiss not to just speak with him, speak about him again. You know, I, I we talked about you know missed Oscar opportunities. I feel like they totally missed that performance because you watch him deliver oh, that monologue yeah and it's just how was he not nominated yeah, but it, it, it's um how can i say it movies about kids are not considered you know to be important movies yeah. because you know kids don't have real problems kids don't have um you know life-changing experiences all of you know, it's a, uh, you know, you, you diminish it by saying, oh, it's a kid's movie. And that, uh, I mean, we were, we were incredibly lucky to be nominated. Yeah. Because it, it's a kid's movie. Yeah. And, and. Unless it's Fellini's Armour Chord, then it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is a great movie. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, but oh, Bruce. Some years of it, right after Bruce directed Cops or something like that. It, anyhow, I think it was, but Cops, yeah, yeah. And Dino invited Bruce to, to go with him to, to Italy or something like that. Anyhow, oh, and, yeah, and, he met, and he met and he met Fellini. I had and, the, I had the great experience <laughs> sitting in a hotel room in Rome, in straight back chairs with Dino and Fellini oh watching my God. the Italian or the, or the, um, <laughs> the, the, soccer. The, the Rome soccer team or the Italian national team. <laughs> and these two guys sitting there, I mean, geniuses both in their own way. Oh yeah. Dreaming is dreaming. And, and Bruce says to Fellini, you know, uh, eight and a half. Uh, when I when I saw that, I wanted to be in the movie business. And Felitti said, "Should never have made the movie. Should never. I've ruined too many people's lives <laughs> trying to get into the movies." No, no, no. Well, good luck, but thank you. You know. Oh no, he was very, very sweet, and he had seen Cups, and he was very complimentary and all of that. Well, so, I first off gotta say, I love Cups. I, I've as a kid, I've I've wanted a. I grew up wanting a sequel of that movie so much. Um, I just, I, yeah. I, for, I'm a huge Christian Slater fan, so I, I uh, Christian is wonderful, you know. And then, of course, Mila at that time, yeah, we cast her, and then we found out why well, we thought she was 19, 20, or whatever. <laughs> Turns out she says, Oh, no, I'm only 15 and a half. And we go, oh, my god, <laughs> oh, my god, what do we do? So, Christian, I, Christian was very angry when he found that out, yes, because he, he knew that he would be hands off. So I had to spend a couple of days downtown emancipating her <laughs> oh, so that she could shoot after nine o'clock. Otherwise yeah. we were dead, you know, with our schedule. And uh, 
So anyhow, the judge said, okay, you're emancipated, da, 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 here are the papers. And then as we left the, the courtroom, she goes, oh God, oh God, I've always wanted to do this. What, what, what? She ran to the car end of the street and got a hot dog from one of those cart vendors. And I said, you're going to get poisoned. No, 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 it's great. So to celebrate, we each had a hot dog. Oh my gosh, that's great. That's great. Well, I have one last question. One last question about Stand By Me. It's uh, just where does, you know, has watching the movie now versus then changed at all for you? I mean, especially given some of the context. I mean, you think about the fact that you know, River's dying in 93, Chris Chambers dying at the end of the film. It, it, does that affect the way that you look at the film now growing up, you know, looking I, back? I can't, I can't see the movie. Yeah. I refuse to see the movie now. It's just, I don't know why, just too many memories too. Oh God, you know, it's, they always say inside of an old guy that somebody's saying, what the fuck happened? <laughs> um, no, it's, it, it's, it's a very personal film. And uh, there were, you know, some screenings here, even at a drive-in, you know, a couple of special screenings. Mm -hmm. And my wife, Karen said, oh, we should go. And I said, you go, I, I don't want to go. I can't, I can't, I've not seen the movie since we made the movie. Wow. Yeah, I, I have. Bruce has. He's yeah, tough. Uh, Bruce is a tough guy. Yeah, yeah. My, I, have, I have a daughter Yeah. who grew up um, with people knowing about Stand By Me. And so uh, she has seen Stand By Me and I, I've, I've shown it to her. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of my, my connection. But uh, truthfully... I think she likes cuffs better than <laughs> who does? I mean, cuffs is great. Oh, yeah. My daughter has told me, she said, you should do a podcast. And I said, who would be interested? And she said, you're an old man. Tell them all about your ailments. <laughs> Tell them about going to the doctor. And, then, <laughs> and she showed me the podcast. I'm going, you're crazy. This, 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 who would be interested in that? And she said, look at him. There are tons of people interested in him. You're more interested than he. Interested We're not on Facebook or Twitter or anything. You know, I do Instagram a bit, but your life is probably better off without it. Can you imagine that actually what we're living is the detritus or detritus of those servers? Oh, yeah. In other words, our lives are actually where we're we don't exist we're only a, a yes you know it's, it's a plato philosophy yes that, you know, it really is <laughs> we don't we it, we're the shadow we're, yeah. we're we're just we're just a projection of those servers who who have you know de they're deteriorating and that's why we die <laughs> <laughs> well i hope not uh i you yeah. know I, I, I fingers crossed but um I will say the two of you have uh, cast one hell of a projection uh, uh, across oh, all of you. us. Um, and thank I just you. wanted to thank you so much for, for spending the time to talk to me. I, it was just, well, thank you. Really thank you chat. for being interested in yes. giving us a call. You know? Of course. Thank you so, so much. No, thank, thank you. you. Seriously. Hopefully we could talk about the, I think it's the 30th anniversary of Cuffs next year. So maybe we'll get on the, back on the line and oh, chat. Okay. <laughs> well, once in a while, maybe give it. Give a plug for Mr. Brooks. Absolutely. Yeah. No, love Mr. Brooks. One of my, that, that's actually one of my dad's favorite movies. So anyway, thank you. Well, it's so, very so. solid. So we'll talk soon though. I just okay, love okay, talking yeah. to you. Have a great Bye. afternoon. Bye-bye. Weren't they great? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, they're legends. They are Hollywood legends. Uh, as we discussed, uh, they, they wrote Starman. Mr. Brooks and they also wrote one of my favorite Christian Slater movies. We also discussed in the interview, Cuff. So look, go and celebrate their entire catalog. And uh, I hope you enjoyed all those stories. I really, really loved hearing more about uh, the post-screening with uh, Stephen King, because it's certainly something that has dwelled in my head for a while. Just uh, the idea of him seeing that movie on screen and hearing that he teared up. And it's just it's, it was cool to hear another side of that story and more of that story. And also know, good to know that he's a Miller, a Miller fan. <laughs> I, I, I'm a very big fan of uh, the Miller products. And no, this episode wasn't sponsored by Miller. But anyway, I digress. Uh, look, we got one more piece of Stand By Me 
coverage for you. And that's exclusive to our patrons, uh, patrons on our Patreon. Uh, we are going into the Gordy LeChance stories. Uh, so Stud City and uh, the Lardass uh, story, the Revenge Lard Lardass. So uh, become a patron, www.patreon.com slash the Barons to hear all about those two stories, which actually predate the body um, and go back to uh, Stephen King's own uh, salad days. So uh, lots of insights there. Um, spoiler, got emotional on that one also. Uh, but uh, that'll wrap our summer out. September's coming, Labor Day. Seems fitting. It's the, it's the exact same setting and time as uh, Stand By Me. But uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up in September. We'll be releasing the calendar very, very soon. But I will say uh, we are going to have another long watch. And we have another guest on that long watch and um, of the musical variety. I'm very excited for that one. Um, and we're actually keeping it very close to the body. That's all I'll, uh, I'll let you know right now. If you like this podcast, I'm just going to shill for just a second. Please just bear with me. Uh, if you like our podcast, give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Give us five bright red Pennywise clown noses. We deserve them. I mean, look, we've delivered like 30 fucking hours of content this, this month. Give us a review. Give us, send us some, some, nice, uh, some nice thoughts. You know, tell us we're cool. We, we like that, right? Who doesn't like that? Anyway, I've talked enough. I think it's time to go. So uh, enjoy one. Go Maybe go grab a, a towel. Go run off to the lake. <laughs> go out for a walk. Hit the railroad tracks. Don't stay on the railroad tracks too much. You know That could be a problem for everyone. But uh, go have fun and enjoy the, the last bits of summer. Uh, until then, I'll be seeing you in the fall over long days and pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs> <laughs>